0: A science story, huh?
1: These NYU scientists, they felt, a I felt I right. but I was so And I just happy. thought, well, well figured it, wow. it was like, that well.
2: golden moment. Because science was on my side.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Colin Jerelmack. The story was recorded in September 2012 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme of the event was animals.
1: Ten years ago, I decided that I was going to apply to graduate school for sociology. My advisor convinced me that this was going to be a really good idea and that I was going to be a shoe in I was a great writer. I had a 4.0. You know, I was just just going to knock them dead. And so, I applied to a bunch, like twenty of the most selective sociology programs in the country, and I got rejected from every one of them. And so I kind of fled to South America and backpacked for a year and collected myself and thought about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And uh, my advisor, you know, said, "Get back in the saddle. You know, you get, come on, just apply to some more." So I applied to some more modest schools, and I got in somewhere. I got into some, to City University of New York. And so I, you know, I showed up there that fall, and I was admittedly feeling a little insecure about. If I had what it took to be a sociologist, and I didn't get into any of these programs, and I wasn't exactly assuaged when I would tell other people, oh, I I go to City University of New York, they'd say, oh, NYU, that is a great school. i say, no, mm, C-U-N-Y, it's a a different school than NYU. So um, soon after I got there, uh, I I took an urban studies class where the idea was we had to pick some site in the city and do original research. Go out and observe and get your hands dirty, you know, and observe social life and write about it. And so, um, you know, I kind of, like a lot of people, I was like, oh geez, like the semester starts next week. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't really know the city. And so I I wound up settling on this park, Father DeMo Square, which is in Greenwich Village, Manhattan. It's this little, to my advisor, I said, this is a good park because um, it's like the crossroads of the village, even though it's so small, all these people come there. So it's kind of like this vital community space. But to myself, I knew that um, I wouldn't need anybody's permission to go there. It was open 24 hours. And I'm vegan, and there was a place to get tofu cream cheese across the street. So that's really why, you know, kind of fed into me going there. And so what I hadn't really thought too much about was that the spring semester starts at the end of January. So when you go to a public park at the end of January, and it's 12 degrees, and there's a foot of snow on the ground, it's not the crossroads of the village with all of these people (laughs) and all of this great activity going on. It's empty. It was totally empty. And so I walk into the space, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take some notes and describe the setting and get into my sociology mode, you know? And, I, and so I went in, and I'm like, oh, there's this inscription that tells the history of the park. Let me go write down what that says. And I'm leaning in, and I look up, and I see that there's about 50 pigeons that are sitting on these lampposts above the sign, right above this big sign that says in bold, do not feed the pigeons! And so I kind of look at them, I look at the sign, and I write it down. When my writing is interrupted by this plop of this green-white splat landing on my forehead and glancing off and going onto the ground. I had been shat on by a pigeon. (laughs) And, you know, I thought about this and I say, okay, people say that it's supposed to be good luck to get shit on by a pigeon. But here I am at this fucking empty park in January in my first semester, you know, or my second semester in the program, thinking, like, I'm not, I am not—I don't feel very lucky at all. I wears a napkin. I ran into the bagel place, got a bagel with tofu cream cheese and a napkin to wipe it off. And I you know, walked away from the park cursing the pigeons, not only for crapping on me, but just for ruining my my career as a sociologist. And so, you know, and so I started, you know, things warmed up, people returned, and I started writing about the life of the village, and it was this great community hub like I thought that it was, and all these different people come there, and I'd show it to my advisors, they'd be like, hmm yeah, ever read Jane Jacobs? Yeah, right, like, there, nothing new, right? The story was, I'm not finding anything new. Have you read anything? Have you read urban sociology? And so, you know, and I'm like, well, but there's this thing going on with the pigeons, right? There's all these pigeons there, and even though you're not supposed to feed them, people feed them. But then other people complain about it, and people say, oh, they're rats with wings, you shouldn't feed them, you know, they're disgusting. And I was going to these community board meetings, and people were saying, like, boy, you know, if we could just get the homeless people and the pigeons out of that park, like, wouldn't it be a place that we would want to be? So I thought there was something going on here with these pigeons, right? And so I actually wrote a paper about it called How Pigeons Became Rats. And it was sort of my trying to grapple with why we hate pigeons so much. But, you know, of course, I'm wondering, like, is this, is this sociology? Is writing about why people hate pigeons sociology? And so, you know, at this time, I've been thinking about pigeons a lot and pigeon hate a lot. And... Um, <laughs> But there's a lot. Of, there was people that lived near me that don't hate pigeons, but that seemed to love them. I lived in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and from my rooftop, I could see these men breeding and training how to fly stocks of pigeons, hundreds of pigeons. I had been slightly familiar about with this. I had heard of it before, but I'm kind of looking there. You know, I'm on my rooftop, wondering if I'm ever going to be a sociologist, and you know, wondering like why, why these people want more pigeons on their roof when the people around them want less pigeons, right? The mayor's talking about appointing a pigeon czar to oversee pigeon control in the city. They talked about a thousand dollar fine for feeding pigeons, all sorts of things. And so I started, I decided I wanted to get to know these guys. And so I looked into a phone book and found that there's a pigeon supply store. And I went and kind of was like walking up to the door and I'm like, okay, I'm going to say I'm Colin Dromack. I'm a sociologist and I'm writing about What? I didn't really know what I want. Did I want to say I'm writing about, I want to know why you love pigeons when everybody else hates them. So I walked up to the door literally four times, like, grabbed the door, walked away. I'm like, I have to think about how I'm going to justify this project. What am I doing? And then the guy inside who owns the place, his name is Joey, as I would come up find is looking at me. He sees me going up to the door, about to open it and stepping back. So then the fifth time I'm like, oh, fuck it. I just, I go in and I say, ah, yeah, I see these guys with pigeons and it's interesting. And thankfully, Joey's like, you know, he's not used to talking to sociologists or wanna be sociologists, so he doesn't really care that I don't have a real explanation. He just says, come back on Sunday. That's when everybody comes and hangs out here. So I come back and he introduces me to some of the guys, and so I'm like, gonna go on the rooftops. And I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. I already envisioned the story I was gonna tell that was gonna be narratively compelling and sociologically gripping. It was gonna be, it was gonna be that these guys are like these working class guys in the hustle and bustle of Brooklyn, but, um, you know, but the pigeon coop is like, is like Thoreau's cabin on Walden, you know, on Walden Pond, right? This is their escape from the social ills. They connect with nature. I, you know that song, Up on the Roof, when this old world starts getting me down? And um, you know, and so I, I I meet this old timer Carmine, this Italian guy, and, and I go up to his roof, and, and you know, and I, I I get ready and I open up, and I've got my, my first question, and I say, um, so uh, you know, when you're when you're up here on the roof, do you look at this as like as an escape? And he kind of stops for a second with this look that I confuse for deep thought, and he's just like, no. And I'm like, okay. Um, so since you started keeping pigeons, do you do you do you like do you do you feel more connected to nature? Like do you, do you care more? Do you do you think about like other animals? And whatever? he's like, no, I'm like all right, all right, all right. I, I, but but has keeping pigeons changed the way you think about pigeons? Right, street pigeons? And he's like, you mean the street rats? Oh God, I hate the street rats. I'm like fuck, huh? Okay. And so you know, I kind of am like. Now what? Right? I mean, Father Demo Square's not going anywhere. These guys on the roof aren't going anywhere. And meanwhile, I'm catching a lot of shit. I mean, on the one hand, so when I was talking to Carmine, actually, our interview was interrupted by being shit on again. And so I'm, like, screaming, and I ask Carmine, do you have a rag? And he says, why would I need a rag? I say, because I've just been crapped on by a pigeon. And he just laughs and points at his own sweatshirt, which has a dozen dried, you know, dried feces stains from pigeons. I'm like, oh right, you don't mind getting crapped on by a pigeon. Right. And but I was also catching shit as an academic. So I started trying to go to conferences and presenting my research in progress about pigeons, right? Um, and and at at one, this very esteemed sociologist comes up to me afterwards and she's like, yeah, this is kind of cute what you did here. So um, you know, what's 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 the dissertation research about? And I was like, oh well I was thinking it was gonna be this. She was like, oh, you want to commit academic suicide, <laughs> writing about pigeons, pigeons, as a sociologist. It's like, yeah, huh. And at the same time, that article that I wrote, How Pigeons Became Rats, got rejected. So, you know, it was kind of like a low point for me. And, and you know, I mean, I was starting to feel like the pigeons. It's, it's kind of always the low point for them in the city, <laughs> to be honest. And so, and then I was, kind of, I was kind of having this identity crisis as an academic because, I at least sort of presented the work enough and whatever, and I was doing this bizarre project that like, when I would be at conferences I'd talk to people, oh what do you work on, you know, you have one of these social hours, I'm like, I've heard of you, you're that pigeon guy. I'm like, no, the pigeon guy is the guy in Washington Square Park who feeds them and they land all over him. I'm not the pigeon guy, the pigeon is a lens for understanding all of these other things, you know. Yeah, right, sure, right, right. Um, but, like, you know, one thing one thing that was happening anyway, at least, was my perception of pigeons was really starting to change. It's not that I ever hated pigeons, but I never really paid much attention to them, you know? But, I mean, I started to really pay attention now that I'm writing about them and seeing them on the street. Um, you know, I really admired their, their adaptability. They're not urban dwellers naturally. They're not even from North America, but they've swapped cliffs for cornices. Um, I started to admire their ability to... Just ignore entirely the electric shock wires and plastic spikes that we put out, and build nests right over them. Um, you know, cities are putting up, including New York City, thousand-dollar robotic hawks and these birds of prey recordings eh, eh, that are supposed to frighten the pigeons away. They don't give a shit. They're like, you know, nesting and mating right next to these robotic hawks and these plastic owls, and they don't care. And there was something pretty admirable about that. You know, they were pretty rugged, and. Um, You know, and and, and also I started to talk to epidemiologists, and they really convinced me that like, it's not that pigeons don't carry any diseases, but not really almost any diseases that people can catch for them. And they told me that the Department of Health has never documented incidents of people getting a disease from street pigeons. And so I kind of started to think like, oh, it's not that big of a deal if I get crapped on. It's annoying, but I'm not gonna get some kind of deadly disease. And actually, if you actually look at pigeons, as I started to a lot, you'll see that they're not all gray either. There's actually a lot of variety, even in the street pigeons, right? I started to notice white ones, brown ones, red ones, whatever. And so, you know, I started to see the beauty in them. And then, so now I'm, of course, hanging out with more guys who keep pigeons. And so I started meeting guys who keep homing pigeons. And I know that pigeons have some homing ability. I didn't know that you could ship a pigeon to Virginia and that would fly home 500, 600 miles in one day, nonstop. Right? And so I was really impressed by this homing capacity. And then some of the guys would say to me, well, you know how we can bring them home quicker. Now, as a vegan and an animal rights person, this isn't pr- my personal, um, you know. I, I, but nonetheless, I learned something about pigeons. the way They say, well, you know what you do when you want to speed up the race? You take pigeons that are sitting on eggs. And you, they race home to sit back on the eggs. And I say, but you race hens and cocks. And they say, right. Because both male and female sit on the eggs. And and when the babies are born, they both feed them, and they both both equally take care of them. Something I think many humans aspire to, but don't achieve. And I also learned other things about pigeons that are traits that I think many people find desirable and hard to achieve. The divorce rate is really low. Pigeons mate for life. They keep their mate until one of them dies, right? And so, and then I, I started to see other kinds of pigeons. In Berlin, I met Turkish immigrants who kept a type of pigeon called a tumbler, which can literally do backward flips In mid-flight, and they have these competitions where they see how many flips it can do before it reaches the ground. Charles Darwin speculated that this was was a, a proneness to having seizures that they selected on and exaggerated through breeding. And I met men who keep tiplets which tiplets you can fly straight in the air doing circles for over 24 hours. And they have these endurance contests with them. And then I remembered I went back to my dog-eared copy of Origin of Species, and lo and behold, Darwin spent the first 80 to 90 pages, if any of you remember, going through every breed of pigeon, all the different varieties that had been created from this one wild source, because in seeing all this variation from this one bird through artificial selection, he could use this as an analogy for natural selection, right, and how it plays out. And so at the same time, you know, I was starting to have, as I was having this changing perception of pigeons, I was starting to have changing perceptions of my project, right? I mean, so for one, thing that was actually, was sociologically interesting was I found out that pigeon keeping in New York City was almost exclusively white, Italian, Polish, Irish, but that why was it I wondered that today most of the guys doing it were Puerto Rican and black? Well, what happened was is these neighborhoods like like Bed-Stuy and Bushwick were changing over after white flight, that a lot that Italians and Polish actually started hiring some of the Puerto Rican and black kids when they moved in to help them out clean the coops and so on and so they passed it on to you know now we've got like different groups of people keeping pigeons but now as neighbors are gentrifying they're getting kicked out and so there was this kind of hidden story about neighborhood change and community relations right and then i also found a way to think about You know, it's not just pigeons that we hate. This whole sort of category of nuisance animals. How is it that animals become nuisance animals? That's a social category. That's not a natural category, right? And so that allowed me to start thinking about how we sort of categorize animals and make room for them or not in the built environment. And so I was starting to kind of get more comfortable with what I was saying. My article got published. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I was sort of, you know, now realizing that because no sociologist, not only did no sociologists write about pigeons, they don't write about animals, that I could kind of single-handedly create an entirely new field <laughs> within sociology that I am the king of! <laughs> and so, this all kind of culminated in, um, I made a trip to Venice, Piazza San Marco, if any of you are familiar with it, where, um, I, I, I assure you I purely went there for sociological reasons, not because it's, not because it's beautiful. Um, but if you don't know about Piazza San Marco, this is a place that has upwards of 20 to 30,000 feral pigeons that are there because there's a tradition of feeding them. They've been fed there for centuries. And so there were, there were vendors who would sell seed in little packets. And tourists come, tourists who hate pigeons, tourists who don't feed pigeons at home, who come here to feed the pigeons. It's one of the, it's one of the signature things you do. You go on a gondola, you feed the pigeons, right? And so. I can't describe to you this this feeling the first time my wife and I walked in to the piazza and there's like, it's like Hitchcock's the birds, right? They're swirling. I mean, there's tens of thousands of them. But unlike the few, like, people, you know, that are marginalized as the pigeon lady here and are trying to avoid getting citations for feeding pigeons, there's hundreds of people feeding them and they're landing all over them, head, shoulders, whatever else. And, uh, you know, my wife said, go ahead, hon, I know you want to. <laughs> and so, you know, I just, with, with pure bliss, bought that packet of seed, marched into that army of pigeons and just dumped it on my hands, my shoulders, my head, and just allowed myself to be engulfed by these birds. And um, it was at that moment that I finally became okay with being shit on by a pigeon. And I also, of course, it's at that moment that I really kind of owned who I was, as a sociologist, there wasn't turning any turning back anymore. I was the pigeon guy. Thanks.
0: That was Colin Gerald Mack. Colin is an assistant professor of sociology and environmental studies at NYU, where he also teaches courses on animal studies. He is the author of the forthcoming book, The Global Pigeon, which uses the pigeon as a lens for understanding how relationships with animals and nature shape our experience of city life. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Pigeons for never having pooped on me. Keep up the good work, Pigeons. Thanks for listening.
2: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.